0: Welcome to the Press 1 for Nick podcast. I am Nick Limsdall, and my guest this week is Joe Pine. Joe is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and management advisor to Fortune 500 companies and entrepreneurial startups alike. He is a co-founder of Strategic Horizons LLP, which is a thinking studio dedicated to helping businesses conceive and design new ways of adding value to their economic offering, and he's also the co-author of The Experience Economy. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I always try to find a, a little bit of tidbit that people might not know about you. Yeah? Um, so can you share with us maybe maybe something that um, uh, people might not know about you?
1: Yeah? Uh, well, people might not know that as of nine months ago, I became a grandfather. Mm. So my wife and I have a beautiful little uh, baby grandson, Luke Joseph Pancratz, that's just uh, just adorable.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we 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 talked about it just a, a briefly at the very end there, but I feel like that is the ideal scenario is to is to be a grandfather and you get to feed him as much candy and run around and give him all <laughs> Christmas nice and then say, here you go, hand him off to the parents and say best
1: of luck. Uh, that's true. I'm not at the candy feed stage, but I get him handed back with like he poops his diaper. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs>
0: here you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that it sounds like a, a perfect scenario. But um, so going back to Um, you know, you obviously wrote a very successful book called The Experience Economy. What made you write that book?
1: Well, it was, it was a book that had to be written. That's number one. You know, I eventually figured out that my, you know, my purpose in business is to uh, figure out what's going on in the world of business and then develop frameworks to first describe what's happening and then, and then prescribe what companies should do about it. Yeah. And I did that first with mass customization, which actually came out in October of 1992, an extension of my thesis on the subject at MIT. And and from there, I discovered the experience economy by recognizing that that um, customizing a good automatically turns it into a service, and customizing a service turns it into an experience because you make it's done it's just so appropriate for a person, it makes them go wow, and creates a, a memorable event. So once I discovered that, I knew, which was late 93 or early 94, I knew that, you know, there was a book there and that it had to be written, that you could, once you see that, you can see it everywhere. It's a lens. Even way back then, you could see, uh, people told me, and I'm so forward thinking that. I said, no, once you know it, you see it. Whatever whatever, whatever you learn about it, right, mm-hmm. whether it was in 93, whether it was in 99 when we came out with the book, whether it was in, you know, 2000, 2010 or now, it, it, uh, it, once you see it, it's like yes, of course, I I, I understand that.
0: Yeah, it almost like um, you know every time that I buy a, a another vehicle, I'm always and let's say it's a, a blue Honda, I look around and I see blue Hondas everywhere. Right, right? exactly. That's the same effect. You now are, are are aware of your surroundings and you're like, hey, there's there seems like there, there there's a pain point for the experience. Like how do we how do we improve that? So, um, I would 100% agree that. I am constantly on the lookout of ways to improve experience, and, and, and what the experience economy is. So, um, from your definition, what is the experience economy? Well, the, the
1: the important thing to understand is that experiences are a distinct economic offering, right? as distinct from services, as services are from goods, and goods are from commodities. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've had thus far four. This we got, we got these four distinct levels of value each one with their own economy, They're growing economy based on commodities that lasts for millennia, the industrial economy based off goods that lasts for several hundred years, the service economy based off services that came to the fore in the latter half of the 20th century. And now we're in an experience economy where, where experiences have become the predominant economic offering, where experiences are what consumers and increasingly business people seek out, and where goods and services are no longer enough, that they become commoditized. And that you end that shift then is both a supply and demand factor supply factor. Hey, we're becoming commoditized. So what do we do? Well, we got to create more value. How do we do that? Well, for manufacturers originally it was getting the service business, right? Then that becomes commoditized. So now manufacturers and service providers need to get into the experience business to get, create the value that, that people desire. And that's the demand side. People desire experiences over things. It's, it's, yeah. Um, one of the things that is most clear now in this, in this, uh, this pandemic environment in the Corona crisis, that it makes us realize that we don't need more stuff, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. In the developed world, at least we've got enough stuff. It's the experiences that we really value. It's the experiences that give life meaning. And it's why every time an experience opens up, boom, it's swamped, right? <laughs> because people want them. They're getting them digitally now, but they want those live physical experiences
0: with other human beings. Yeah absolutely so i'm sure that when everybody hears the book uh, or everybody hears about experience economy they're not all everybody is not automatically like hey joe that's my aha moment i am sold 100 so my guess is there's some type of objections behind those so maybe what's some objections that you've heard regarding the experience economy
1: well, well t- today i rarely hear objections yeah. Right. Today, today it is where I say it, and people go, oh, oh yeah, of course. Now, sometimes it gets translated poorly, like with the whole CX movement, right? Customer experience is not experiences as a distinct ac- economic offering. Customer experience is about making our interactions with customers nice and easy and convenient, which are all well and good, but they define good service. They don't define a memorable, a remarkable, uh, a time well spent experience. Mm-hmm. So, so you do get that translation problem when people think they know what experience is, but it isn't. That's why it's important to understand it's a distinct economic offering. <laughs> I used to get a lot of object- objections, though, back in the, you know, particularly when I first started talking about in the mid-90s into the early 2000s, where there were some people that just, there, that, that, you know, didn't believe experiences were a distinct economic offering. No, good, You know, commodities, good services are enough to explain everything, right? And then I relay a story where Golden, Gordon Bell, right, Microsoft researcher, inventor of the VAX computer for Digital Equipment Corporation, I was given a presentation once where I described how today, and it's even worse today, right, that only, uh, you know, less than 10% of employment is in goods, less than, you know, 10% of GDP is a good. So what economists classify as services makes up over 80% of the economy. And he shouts out, didn't even raise his hand, right? Gordon shouts out, Anytime a category gets to 80%, you got to break it up, right? (laughs) Exactly. You got to break it up and break it up into services, time well saved, and experiences, time well spent. And there are other people that recognize it but don't like it, (laughs) right? Just as there are a lot of people that complained about the hollowing out of America, and you're too young for this. This was like back in the 80s. Uh, as we shifted from manufacturing to services, which does have a grain of truth as we see now. We can't even make our own pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. and and so forth. Um, But it's simply that the manufacturing jobs aren't coming back. And so people decried service jobs going away, but they're not going to come back uh, either in the same way. It's experiences, the experience sector of today's economy that will create uh, growth in GDP, that will create jobs because it is what people want.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you also mentioned that even some of the most mundane tasks can be turned into memorable experiences. So maybe, what are a few examples of, of taking the, the mundane tasks and, and making them memorable?
1: Well, the, the, you know, the, the customization aspect of it, I think, is key to that, doing only and exactly what people want. You know, you go to a uh, Ritz-Carlton hotel, for example, and you walk up that you know that you'd been to once you know a couple of years ago, and you walk up to the front desk and they say welcome back, Mr. Pine. Mm-hmm. It's like how did they do that? Right? Mm-hmm. How did they do? And it's because the the um, um, the bellman got your luggage, saw your tag, radio ahead. They quickly you know put it in their database. Has he been ha- back here before? Right. Then you come in, they welcome you back, or they just welcome you to the Ritz Carlton. Right. They remember your names. They remember your, your preferences. Uh, and um, so a lot of those interactions, just you know, like you know the phenomena of uh, uh, being a regular at a restaurant, right? That, where people do know your name. They know your favorite drink. They bring you down. You know, my favorite restaurant. They know, they know what, uh, what drink I like. You know, they know they can su- suggest some of the favorite foods uh, that they know that I like and so forth. And it makes you feel at home and it makes it into a more, you know, more, you know, goes away from that mundane reaction into a, a memorable experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll reach back uh, further than, um, uh, than I probably should have, but it's kind of like cheers, right? Where everybody yes. knows your name. Uh, You're and, not
1: as young as you look, Nick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it, it, it's creating that experience so that it, it's personalized um, to, to make you feel valued. Um, and, and just that small thing of looking at the luggage tag, telling the front group, it didn't take a whole lot of effort. No, but it defined that experience for you moving forward. Right, right. It's, it's a proper training, and
1: it's the the uh, focus and the and the desire to say, hey, this is how we're
0: going to do it. This is how we're going to make a difference in our guest lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the book, um, at the end of chapter one, you close it by saying those businesses that relegate themselves to the diminishing world of goods and services will be rendered irrelevant. So to avoid this faith, fate, you must learn to stage a rich, compelling experiences. So how do you begin to stage a rich, compelling experience?
1: Well, one of the things we did in uh, earlier this year, we re-released the book right, for the third time uh, and, and this time back in hardcover. Uh, with a new preview on competing for customer time, attention, and money, but we also introduced a new construct in there of uh, five qualities of experience that, that that do that, that create those rich, compelling experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's about being robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. Mm-hmm. And those are that, and that basically gives you an outline then for the rest of the book. We got a chapter on being robust, a chapter on cohesive. Uh, Robust is about hitting the sweet spot of of the four realms of of, uh, entertainment, educational, escapist, and aesthetic experiences. Cohesive is about um, uh, having a compelling theme that pulls everything together. It's the underlying concept of the experience. Uh, Personal is about the customization aspect that we just mentioned. Again, Experience County builds off of my work on mass customization that allows you to efficiently serve customers uniquely. And with experiences, you want to reach inside of people and engage them from the inside. And customization is a great way to do that. And then uh, dramatic uh, experiences are, of course, about bringing a level of theater into a drama into it. You know, something that rises up to a climax and comes back down again. And then even transformative is is, the, is those experiences that actually change us in some way. You know, life-transforming uh, experiences. So if you can design around these five. Um, Uh, qualities of an experience then you can't help but be rich and compelling you can't help but be engaging and provide uh, time well spent
0: yeah yeah so uh, the easiest thing to do is just uh follow your book verbatim and watch by (laughs) line and don't screw up and don't blink because uh it it sounds sounds uh easy but uh it, it just going through that process but it's very difficult yeah, let me, you know,
1: let, me give you, let me give you a quick example of that because I love this. A, a guy, uh, Amirad, uh, in San Francisco has become a friend of mine after somebody first told me about what this guy was doing, is that he, he had a, um, a retail men's store in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, it's a fairly small place, but he was making a success at it. He wanted to build a much bigger place. Uh, and while he was in that process, uh, he read our book, and uh, and you know like the line by line sort of thing well one of the things that really stuck with them was the question we asked it toward the end of chapter three um that says what would you do differently if you charged a mission because charging a mission economically turns it into an experience charging for time Many companies give away the 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 next level of value give away experiences better sell the goods and services but you want to economically be in the experience business you you got to charge admission fee membership fee a per play fee or you know other ways of do it, charging for time mm-hmm. and he um it really stuck in his craw he's just like how can i charge admission to a men's store that doesn't work i want him to come in and buy stuff mm-hmm. but he kept thinking about it and thinking about it and he finally hit upon the idea about creating a club that in addition to the men's store he'd create a club and he prototyped it. He told me this. I couldn't believe it. He prototyped this. He said, well, like a conference room in the back. It's got, I got a plain wooden table in there. I got some drinks uh, and Wi-Fi, you know, and it just started charging, uh, you know, some bucks a month for people. And people wanted to do it. <laughs> he said they, they like to the respite from their day. They, they, if they If they're a company that really identified a person that really identified with Wingtip, then they said, wow, I want to belong to Wingtip. That's one of the key things about membership. And so it gave him the confidence that they could do that writ large. Yeah. And he, he leased out the bottom two floors of the old Bank of Italy building across from the Transamerica building and created the wingtip store. And then the top two floors of the ring t- wingtip club with an admission, with, well, with a membership fee of, of at the high, highest level is $3,000 plus $200 per month. Tremendous success,
0: right? Wow. Wow, I'm, I'm gonna be thinking about that for the rest of the day now on, on uh, you know, looking into organizations and how to find ways to uh, get them to charge a mission, but what, what type of value do you need to bring uh, to, to do that? But um, you mentioned there's a, you talk about variety and customization, you talked about customization just on the previous question, but what's the difference between the two? And um, I'll, I'll pause on that and then I have a follow up question.
1: All right, well, the, you know, I will say this. You know, when we, we wrote the Experience Economy in 1999, there's nothing we got wrong, right? Now, some exemplars didn't make it, which you expect in any time of innovation, and not every company is going to make it. Yep. When we updated in 2011, we didn't have to change anything. We added new frameworks, new ideas, and so including the charging emission framework. Yep. Uh, and then now in, in 2020 with the, with the new book, uh, again, nothing has changed. We've only added to it new new concepts such as this this time model of time well time well spent and and so forth, but that's not true. in My book mass customization, <laughs> mass customization. I got some stuff wrong, and one <laughs> of them was this this I didn't make a distinction between variety and customization, that because um, var- I, I, partly because they had all this data that showed that in many industries variety was increasing. Right. Therefore, I could show that, well, so the logical conclusion would continue, continue to increase until you get to customization. What I didn't realize is variety is a mass producer's last-ditch attempt to be able to save his old paradigm, his old way of mass producing, still putting things in inventory in advance uh, instead of shifting to mass customization, doing things on demand. Right? And so that's the difference. Variety is in inventory. You may have lots of choices but it's still finished good in inventory or a, a finished uh, activity that we, we can do as a service. And obviously experiences can have variety as well, um, but it's only customization when you're changing it based on this individual customer, right? The customer goes in customization and, uh, and doing that on demand, right? In response to what the customer wants or like Rich Carlton case, you don't necessarily ask them what they want, you just figure out what they want and you respond uh, uh, to them uh, accordingly. So that's the the standard difference between the two. And uh, variety
0: still doesn't work. It's customization that we need to shift to. Yeah, so can you find a way to customize for every single customer? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: The the key uh, to low cost, high volume, efficient customization is modularity, right? That you design your offerings like Lego building bricks. And what can you build with Legos? Anything. Anything, right, anything you want. Why, because you have a large number of modules, different sizes, different shapes, different colors, and a simple and elegant linkage system for snapping them together. And mm-hmm. that's what modularity is, modules plus linkage system. So if we design our offerings like Lego building bricks, we simply pick different bricks for different customers and we can give exactly, everybody exactly what they want at a price they are willing to pay. One of the things I only discovered a couple of years ago, which it sort of shocked me that you know, I'd, I'd often said that, that anything you can digitize, you can customize. Because once it enters the realms of zeros and ones, you can instantaneously change a zero to a one and vice versa. Mm-hmm. What well, I finally figured out was, well, is that digits are modularity, right? There's digital modularity, zeros and ones. And it's, it's even more robust than Legos. So for example, my uh, favorite example of that is Carnival Cruise Lines. Right, The the, the Carnival Corporation, particularly in their Princess Cruise Lines, created this IoT device called an Ocean Medallion that allows them to identify each individual guest and know who they are, greet them by name because their picture pops up and their their name pops up whenever you get near them on a tablet that they have. And then they can, like Rich Carlton, they can remember your, your preferences even much more systematically, uh, it will automatically pay for anything. It will open your stateroom door by the touch of your hand because it knows at you by, by tracking your medallion. Uh, and then they send you personal experience invitations to be able to uh, invite you to experiences that they, they have a high degree of likelihood that you'll like based on what they know about you. They can even remember things like when you're on the pool deck with your kids or grandkids as the case may be. Your yeah. favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon. But when you're in the bar with your buddies, it's a mojito. And when you're in the restaurant with your spouse, it's a glass of Shiraz, right? So same customer, but different context in that. Mm -hmm. And so so digital technology absolutely allows us to provide, you know, every customer with exactly what they want. But again, do it with low cost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, how have customer expectations changed even in the last five years? Well, the, the, the,
1: Definitely they've changed towards customization, you know, in particular because we have these smartphones that allow, um, um, allow us to basically revolve the world around our needs and our desires that we can instantaneously command a car to appear, right? Exactly where we are, that will take us where we want to go to, yeah. to cause exactly the song that we want to hear at this moment in time to, to, to start playing in our ears uh, and, and so forth and and they are mass customized they may come out of the factory standardized but we make them our own with putting our data and our apps and our contacts our uh, videos and music and so forth on them and so they've really gotten people used to the fact that hey we can get exactly what they want and they start to want that you know get this snowball effect where they want that in industry after industry
0: yeah yeah so um Another show that I watched uh, when I was real young, uh, which is kind of getting us closer to, the, to this customization and and getting us to um, companies understanding what we want maybe even before we do, is the Jetsons, right? Okay, you, right. You have all of this thing, these things, and, and automation behind it, but creating a, a customized experience. I I kind of always go back to that show. But um, you know, when it comes to customers with companies, how do you how can companies keep customers forever? Is there there a certain formula or is there a couple things that you can provide? Yeah, no, actually I'll give you a
1: formula, right? Here's the formula, right? So it's based on customization. That's how you keep customers forever. That's how you gain true loyalty. Loyalty is not bribing our customers with the 11th one free every time you buy 10, right? That's not true loyalty. Loyalty uh, is when uh, you know that every interaction you have with a customer is an opportunity to learn to learn about this individual living, breathing customer, learn about the context they're in, to learn more about what they want and so forth. And then every, that, that opportunity to learn allows you to better customize to them, to give them more exactly what they want. Uh, and then the, the more you customize to them, the more they benefit, they see that value of that individual customization. And so the more they benefit, guess what? They're more they're willing to interact. Yeah. And the more they interact is another opportunity to learn. And so on, and that you get around this virtuous cycle. That's the formula around each individual uh, customer that forms uh, what, uh, what what I call, with with Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, the one-one future. We call it a learning relationship, a relationship that grows and deepens over time. Uh, and that's where true that's where you can gain true loyalty is uh, is to is to have this customer-centric virtuous cycle around each individual customer, based on who they are and what they want and the capabilities you can do for them.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, earlier on, you talked about how work is theater. What does that mean? And, and maybe give us an example.
1: Well, when you're staging experiences, work is theater,
0: right? It's, it's not a metaphor. It's
1: not work as theater. I literally mean that work is theater, that whenever workers are in front of guests, they're on stage. And need to engage in a way that that um, or, need, or need to act in a way that engages the audience that they have, and so you need to to help them you know give them roles to play, help them characterize those roles, and perform them on your, your business stage. Uh, I'll give you two favorite examples of that. One is uh, the Geek Squad. Uh, Robert Stevens, the founder of the Geek Squad, wanted to get a computer installation or repair business, and so he said, "Well, who better do that than geeks?" And then he costumed them in the white shirts, the thin black ties that are clip-ons, you know, just in case there's an altercation, Robert says. Black pants with things hanging off the belt and black shoes with white socks that really make that uniform pop. They drive around in their geek mobiles, the black and white Beatles with the Geek Squad logo emblazoned on the side. When they get to your home or your office, the first thing they do is they pull out their badge and say, hi, I'm from the Geek Squad. You know, slowly step away from that computer, sir. And they go about giving you a computer repair experience. And Robert says that his goal is make the computer repair experience so engaging that their customers can't wait till the computers break down, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all theater. I mean, they, they may be very good at, uh, at, at installing and repairing computers. Are they that much better than everybody else? Well, maybe they are, but how do, you, how do you know? Because you're no good at it? Well, you know because of the great experience that they provide. Again, turning that mundane interaction into an engaging encounter. And then another uh, f- world famous example, of course, is the world fa- famous Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle, where they sell commodities. Right, this is fish that they get out of the out of the ocean and, and put it on ice in an open air market. But they do it with such wonderful theater. It's really street theater. They have all these routines that they go through. They try and get kids to get their finger up to a fish and they pull a string, in the mouth of the fish snaps closed, uh, and they uh, they have their their signature moment, right, which is a great dramatic. Technique is what's your signature moment that everybody knows and remembers and wants to experience. And that's where somebody um, orders a fish, you know, and the worker will shout it out, salmon, fly it away to Minnesota. And all the other workers will shout it back, salmon, fly it away to Minnesota. And then they'll throw that salmon 15, 20 feet uh, uh, across the counter. Where somebody catches it and then wraps it up and, and completes the transaction. Uh-huh. Right? wonderfully engaging. And it's, it, and it's there to, to service the, the, the selling of, of commodities.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, going through back to the Geek Squad, um, they could actually be not as good as the next person that doesn't provide right. the experience. But if, if that person that is, is better than them isn't memorable, they're not going to go back to them.
1: Right. Right. I don't Who's who those the guy we had in here? Oh, I don't remember, you know. But don't yeah, remember if it's a Geek Squad agent. Yeah. Just just
0: go online and, and search for a computer repair right. then if if that's right, exactly
1: safe. and get triple A computer repair. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Uh
0: so there's different forms of theater. Uh can you yeah. break those down for me? Sure. There
1: there's four forms of theater. So first there's improv. You know, it was basically where you, you make it up as you go along. And you think um uh about the old show whose line is it anyway mm-hmm. uh which was a great thing we love we're talking about all these old tv shows yeah <laughs> but, uh, you know whose line is it anyway is all about and i think it's still showing but it's all about improv theater that they don't know what's coming they've got to be sharp on their feet and so forth mm-hmm. and and respond to anything that's out there uh and then there's platform theater and platform theater is like it's on a stage on a raised platform and you're saying the same lines all the time. And so here where it's where it's not a lot of customer interaction, that but people are watching you work, you know, you think about the like in you know Krispy Kreme donut stores, you, know, you got that window and you can see them work. Well, they're on stage, right? They can't be picking their nose while they're making the donuts for example, cuz they're on stage. Uh, or, you know, CEO who's giving a talk to analysts and that. He doesn't want to improvise, because that'll get him in trouble. He wants yeah. to say his lines, right? That's what platform theater is. Then there's matching theater, which is the province of film and TV, where you, have, you film different scenes at different times and it's all got to match together. And the business application there is think about companies that have a relationship with the customer. And sometimes it's, it's you know, in a retail place, sometimes it's on the web, sometimes it's email that's going back and forth, sometimes it's a chat room, sometimes they get a flyer or a catalog in the, in the mail, all yeah. these things have to match. And there's so many companies that even to this day, basically have websites and retail stores that are completely at odds with each other. Yeah. Right? You know, one of the things I say to retailers in particular is like, if it makes sense for you to pay a salesperson to be in a retail store to talk to an individual customer, guess what, it makes sense for you to talk to individual customers online. What's with the chat box? Or you're handling 11 chats or chat bots and that sort of thing, or no mechanism, or send us an email. No, no, no. Talk with them individually, and then all of that has to has to match. And then finally, there's street theater, and as I mentioned, that's a Pike Place. But you know, you go to a a, any square in a large city, and you have street theater. You've got uh, flamethrowers and jugglers and acrobats and mimes and all this, and that's where you have a bunch of routines. Street theater is, in fact, mass customized theater. You have modules. They're called bits, right? And you perform a bit and they say, what next bit do I want to perform to get people to best put their money in the hat? You know, as you lead up to your finale. So your, every performance is different. It's not like improv where they they have technique, but they're making it up. It's like, which bit do I do at this time? You know, which Lego brick am I calling off the shelf at this time to be able to engage the audience? Mm.
0: And and almost being able to, um, in that specific instance, seeing the the nonverbals or what people are uh responding to to be able to adapt in that exact moment right uh to customize the next step so whoever is the conductor in that moment uh being able to switch and and che even if if we're if we're uh, uh you know listening to a, a set of a band uh, if somebody if, if an organization or if a if a community of listeners is is reacting to a certain thing being able to switch in the moment for that next song but right, it... exactly you gotta, you
1: gotta you gotta read the audience yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yep. uh so you believe eventually the experience economy will run its course uh and you think it's going to be in the decades to come and then the there's something called the transformation <laughs> economy will take over so what is the transformation economy economy and what needs to happen for the experience to run its course
1: well that that let me let me be clear that it's the experience economy that runs its course, just as the agrarian economy ran its course. We still have commodities, though. We still yeah. have people that have to work in commodity businesses. Um, but it just takes fewer people and, um, and you get fewer output you know, relative to GDP. Same with goods. It takes fewer people to produce manufactured goods. They're less and less a part of GDP. Services the same way. Experiences that will happen as well as they become commoditized. Which is basically the "been there, done that" effect, right? I've been there, done that. I have to do it again, right? Particularly if you're not refreshing the experience. I think theme restaurants are the first industry to commoditize themselves in in that way. And so, so what's next, right? We're always asking, "What's next?" And the as customization is the antidote to commodization. You know, commodization is like the law of gravity. If you do nothing else, it'll drag you down year after year, and you'll become commoditized. Customization lifts you up. You can't help but be differentiated, right? Which means not a commodity if you customize for individual customers. So what happens when you differentiate an experience? When you design an experience that is so appropriate for this particular person or business, exactly the experience that they need, that's where you can't help but turn to what we often call a life-transforming experience. Experience that changes us in some way, and that's a transformation, and that's, of course, what I meant earlier about even transformative, because not all experienced dangers need to, all experienced dangers should be uh, uh, robust and cohesive and dramatic and personal, but not all of them have to be transformative, but eventually more and more will as experiences get commoditized. You know, so so transformations are, are where we um, go beyond time well spent to provide time well invested that people gain compound interest in and that pays dividends now and into the future. Um, uh, transformations are fitness centers and healthcare and management consultants and coaches of all stripes. Any company that is there to, to help you achieve your aspirations, to guide you along a path that you want is really in the transformation business, not the experience business. And in fact, it's hot on it's hot on the heels, right? That that in terms of GDP and employment transformations is not very far behind experiences, particularly because healthcare is such a big part, you know, sector of the economy. And that's, and that's partly because it's a transformation industry. Um, so they'll, they'll both be growing and
0: uh, now more and more in the future. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to, to see, see what's next and, and how to adapt and how not just there, there's the opportunity of Uh, changing expectations and then there's the opportunity of different stages going from experience economy to transformation economy and then it's up to the company to to decide um, am I willing to change and and how much time or or resources am I willing to invest to adapt to that next stage so uh, I could go on and on and ask another 30 questions regarding this book but uh, we only have so much time but uh, I wrap up every question every podcast with two questions And and, um, I'm gonna ask you the first one. uh, Ask them both at the same time, but then I'm gonna follow up with a with a statement because I think it's important. Um, uh, The first question is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service and all the customer experience professionals, and it would reach everybody, uh, what would it say? um, what was it? I've had, uh, a quite a few people already on so far, and I've had two people answer this, the, the, what book or person ins- has influenced you the most in the past year. And your book came up twice. Wow. Uh, so one was Jonathan McKay. He's, uh, actually in Columbus, Ohio here and, uh, runs a CX practice. And then, uh, there's another guy, uh, Shep Hyken who also recommended your book. So, um, uh, kudos to you, and, and, and you're, doing, you're doing something right. So uh, I, I'm always interested and intrigued on, on uh, what people are going to ask.
1: Well, yeah, well, I appreciate that. So, I mean, if I, if I were to think about a book that came out in the past year, um, it would be The Age of Experiences, Harnessing Happiness to Build a New Economy by Benjamin Honeycutt, who is a professor at uh, the University of Iowa. And uh, I met him a couple of times. He was featured in the Atlantic a few years ago and, and talked about the experience economy. Kind of, so I got to meet him. And, uh, and it's a great book. They're really, uh, you know, very academic, but it, but it extends what we're thinking about brings in all the happiness stuff and how it relates to experiences. And he spends just as much time really on transformations as experiences, which is, which is good. You know, I see, I see the mention of transformations transformation economy more and more uh, over time. And, and this is one, that you're probably the first book that really treats it um, at the level that it, uh, that it deserves. Mm. So if I, were, if I were to say a book, that would be the, the one. Yeah. And then on all customer service professionals, what I say to them is, see if you're not really in the experience business rather than the service business. Uh, again, that any you can turn any interaction you have with 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 your customers with, with guests into an experience. You can turn the mundane into the memorable, and, it, and it, first of all, just takes that mindset that you are in the experience business. And if you have that mindset, then you'll be able to figure all of this out and make sure that you go beyond mere service to
0: to offer engaging experiences. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's some great advice. Uh, you can connect with Joe on LinkedIn. Uh, so go and type in Joe Pine, J-O-E-P-I-N-E. Uh, you can go to Twitter uh, and type in Joe Pine at twitter.com slash Joe Pine. And uh, his website is strategichorizons.com. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast and look forward to keeping in touch on, and learning more about the book. Thanks, Nick. It's pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Press 1 for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers.
0: Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.